Hello there. Hello. I am Orla Bukinis. I am Ricardo Deacon. And you are listening to The Recommendation Game, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen, and then we watch them, and then we escape <laughs> to talk about them. You are listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's film is The Bad Sleep Well from 1960. In order to avenge his father's death, Kochi Nishi marries Yoshiko, the daughter of an evil industrialist, uh, Iwabuchi. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the daughter Jesus. of an evil industrialist, Iwabuchi. This week's film was picked by Ricardo yes. for Akira's second run. Why did you pick this film? Um, I picked this movie because I wanted to pick uh, a film noir film. And then I gave you three choices and you said, oh, let's watch all of them. So this is the first <laughs> on a run of film noirs. A uh, genre we have neglected. To yes, be fair. I think Not we've purposely. only done one properly. Uh, consider as well that it's a genre that is very dear to my heart. Yeah, same. Uh, I think we've only done Pick Up on 47th Street. Is it 47th Street? 46th Street, uh, whichever it is. Pick Up on South Street. Yeah, that's the one. I feel like there's another one that we're forgetting about, but I, it possibly might be a movie that has like noirish. Because yeah, obviously... we've done like Le Circle Rouge and stuff yeah. like that that are like cool noirs, but they're not. They're, they're not more even neo noir. Than... Yeah. Yeah. We might as well do like take the bandaid off and do the ball in one go. I suppose. I am completely on board with that. So. So uh, I picked a bad sleep well uh, number one because uh, any good film noir has to have a badass title. Mm. Uh, like it's a rule. Like if you don't have a good title, you're not a good film noir. That's it. <laughs> you know, like in the history of like even like angels with dirty faces and stuff like like prono noirs. Also, as a rule, it has to be about basic emotions, but also emotions that even the protagonist should not have. Mm. So they're powered by either greed or uh, jealousy. And in this case, revenge, revenge. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think also that like uh, it'd be an interesting one to tackle for since the other two choices would be American and more one it's from the golden era of Hollywood and one from new Hollywood. So then having a forum one to balance out the the choices. Kurosawa has made a lot of masterpieces in the samurai genre let's say but he also made a lot of other movies that are from like romantic comedies to like really retrospective dramas to like really experimental works and he i think he did three film noirs um i don't think this is the best but i think it's the most interesting one so that's why uh, (laughs) i picked it i think it's uh, interesting because it's also kurosawa being both original and amazing as always that uh, the movie spawned like multiple influences like the opening the most obvious one that the opening in this is completely lifted to uh, to become the opening of the godfather like just having people at a wedding pointing <laughs> at people saying who people are let's say and it's always interesting to and see and everybody's sweating <laughs> yes uh 
like that's another also wanted to to show you a movie that like kurosawa does shoot the modern world quote unquote really well as well so you know like the streets yeah. of tokyo look fucking fantastic in this movie and i think the cinematography is incredible and you can see also the influence of kurosawa and bonju ho in the whole ensemble uh ensemble blocking that he does there it's like oh, long yes. shots, but uh, it de- yeah. they develop. It's uh, also layers and layers as well of like of blocking and people moving around of like creating different within like very small indoor spaces as well. It's very interesting. And very the... yeah, very. I thought of Parasite a lot actually, even from like an architectural point of view as well. Yeah, which is quite interesting. And then like uh, I think uh, every frame of painting has an episode on this film about mm. the geometry on uh, one particular scene. But I think it's uh, like Bong Joon-ho, Kurosawa is able without editing to change your focus mm. in a scene without moving the camera even. That is just how he positions characters. For example, whenever the, the guy is getting questioned in the beginning... Of the movie you just keep looking at his face even though there's like four people in the frame as well mm-hmm. and you just see him like shrinking and shrinking and shrinking almost into a puddle of a man as john corcoran mm-hmm. would say um, <laughs> up. i i also think that watching this movie is the when they, like because kurosawa has so many movies and the ones that usually people are either forced to watch in college mm-hmm. or guided to watch by lists or not are the mm-hmm. ones that you have to say are quote-unquote perfect films. Like, uh, it's hard to find something bad to say about Seven Samurai or Rashomon or Blackbeard or Ran, etc. This is interesting because it's a flawed movie and I Mm. think that all the flaws come from execution rather than uh, ideas, let's say. And it's in a way it shows the humanity of Kurosawa as a filmmaker that he's not infallible, let's say, especially Mm. with the amount of movies that, that he made. The failures are based on like good, solid ideas. It's just that perhaps of the time that the, the films were made or budgetary restraints, because I think this was the first film that he did with his own production company. So mm. it wouldn't have the same backing as something as Seven Samurai and obviously trying to shoot something on quote unquote modern times is a lot cheaper than replicating a 16th century <laughs> village or in the case of Ran burning down castles. Um, <laughs> I I think that Toshio Mifune is amazing as an actor always and always incredibly watchable. And it's one of the, the important things that we'll get to in film noir that uh, having a lead that is able to be both despicable and uh, unsympathetic, mm-hmm. but interesting. And that's the most important part of that characterization similar to uh, Richard Widmark in uh, Pick Up a South Street uh, mm. it's not you don't have to be the hero even the best person in the, the film but you just have to understand enough the motivation to 
want to, to follow oh, along yeah and see what, what where it leads to it's uh it's also like interesting whenever they make that you're just the the less evil person in the movie uh, I think this movie does have a lot of pitfalls that a lot of film noirs have. Uh, particularly, I think that it's a genre that uh, has uh, it's particularly affected by this because the golden age of film noir is forty five to nineteen sixty. So mm-hmm. it's like before uh, the sexual revolution, let's say, or whatever. So like. It's not particularly like in this film, and it's another part of one of the the issues that I did have with the movie that I think that there is enough there to make the character, the female character, interesting, Mm -hmm. but it it never goes anywhere. Let's say it just uh, becomes uh, quite frankly hilarious at the end. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to have a discussion also about the. how endings affect how you view a movie, let's say. Hmm. Because this movie, I think, for the first two-thirds is almost flawless. And then uh, it's not exactly that the wheels fall off, (laughs) but it gradually becomes worse and worse and worse until the very ending is quite bad and i think that uh, oh it's over now <laughs> like if it if it had like if it had been rescued there like to be brought up i i probably would consider this a better movie than it is and i'm mm-hmm. like why are we so obsessed with how movies end let's say you know like i remember watching bobby in the cinema and bobby ends with like really powerful last 30 minutes but the two hours that came before is absolutely awful. But because the last 30 minutes is like mostly archive footage about like Robert Kennedy and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that it's with like fucking Simon and Garfunkel soundtrack. It's like, <laughs> of course I'm going to have like an emotional <laughs> response to it, you know. And I went back to watch it again and I was like, how did I forget how bad the preceding two hours were? Something like Seven or uh, Usual Suspects. That because the ending is so powerful that you forget how average the rest of the movie is. Usually, when there is a lineup, there's only one real suspect. This whole thing was a shakedown. And there's no way they'd lie in five felons in the same room. But this is not the usual crime. This is not the usual motive. He was in the harbor killing many men. Kaiser Sose! He saw Kaiser Sose. And these are not the usual suspects. But, well, like, yeah, on that note, did you like the <laughs> Did you like the movie? <laughs> um, that was very interesting, I have to say. Um, just your introduction, because... Um, like the first thing I have written down in my notes is... I was kind of dreading talking about this one, to be honest. <laughs> Um, because I can't, I thought that I was like, oh no, he's going to talk about how much he loves this movie and I'm going to have to tell him that I didn't enjoy it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Not, not, okay. So I'll just say I did have a lovely time going back and, uh, listening to our episode on Seven Samurai, because obviously this is our second run around. Um, yeah, it it made me sad for, it's it's a very cheerful episode. It's a, it's a lovely, it made me sad for the flat days and the being in the same room days. And I think it was the episode after we'd gone and done, we'd gone to Tipperary. Yeah. Uh, and done the episode with Claire. (laughs) But, um, 
my intro to that episode where I kind of I had a bit of a fake out for you where I was like oh you know you go and you sit down you're like oh because that's obviously a three and a half hour movie and you're like oh my god is, is this is this actually going to be worth my time and then I'm like oh but I loved it um <laughs> I, I, I did like you know I find myself wondering the same thing because two and a half hours is not that long but you know it's long enough um I was trying to pinpoint exactly why I found this film at times a chore to watch I have to say and it did kind of remind me more of Heaven's Gate as an experience than Seven Samurai. Yeah. Um, there are things I really liked about this. Because obviously, like, you can't... It's not a bad film. You can't call this a bad film because it's Kurosawa. <laughs> obviously not. But it's interesting what you were saying about, like, it's almost more interesting that there are bad things about it because it shows his fallibility. And it, it, that makes complete sense to me. Like... Because the the premise of this is is fantastic, and I loved him doing like a contemporary movie as well. Because, um, like I've only seen what this is a third of his films I've seen, uh, and the two I've seen are like you know set in like feudal Japan, yeah, yeah, feudal Japan. There's the setting immediately, obviously, because as well like 1960s Japan, the suits are great. So it starts off <laughs> the haircuts are great. You know, it starts off in this wedding. The opening scene is perfect it's great and as soon as they leave it the movie starts to go downhill for me okay. so and it's a this weird dual thing of how that the opening of that film is entirely exposition but it's like this it's this wonderful device where they use the journalists to, to like spell out the plot and you're going between all the different characters and it's you're trying to follow along who's who and would they bring in the cake it's <laughs> this is perfect the soundtrack's great it's hilarious but um it, it's it really started to drag and i started feeling guilty about it because i was like am i just not getting this am i am i just in a bad mood or or what and like it was there and i was so eager to like Ngh. and then i was starting to get really tired so i was like we got to maybe there's maybe like 15 minutes left and i was like look we're gonna have to postpone this until tomorrow because like, i'm not giving it my full attention so we went back then yesterday and watched the end of it and I was like, what? <laughs> so no, I didn't like the ending. But because <laughs> it's a weird thing because although like the the ending does really let the movie down, I had already kind of, it had already kind of lost me before then. So it, it wasn't as disappointing, I think, as it, as it could have been maybe if I'd, if I'd been more involved, I think. Um... Yeah, like, I think part of it is, it's too long. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree with you on that. It could, it's, it's an hour too long. Like, it's it's actually bananas how overlong this movie is. And it's, whenever, in the Seven Samurai episode, I remember talking about um the, the like, the lightness of touch of that movie, but how, like, it's, it's so wonderfully paced and you don't feel the length of it at all, even for something that's so long, because it's such a, like, wonderfully like light music movie to watch and the only word that comes to mind when i think of this movie is heavy like it it's there's so much exposition it's it's kind of insane and like there's there's nothing wrong with like exposition within noir but jesus christ like when you get into scenes where like nishi's saying like you know he was my father 
but he says it like 12 times within the scene and you're like we know he's your father we already knew he was your father before you said it Nishi and now you're saying it 12 times and we've got this like really convoluted plot which isn't that convoluted and to be honest I would have liked them to delve a bit more into the actual corruption of it because it's like corporate espionage that's so interesting let's go into that more that let's like delve into the case more of like the cops trying to unwind it because that's really interesting and then it's just like no we will cut out of that by having newspapers 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 and i was like uh but i want them to go more into that because the actual corruption of it of it that being a universal thing of like like modern japan and like that could be anywhere and post-war japan like the little moment that they have at the ammunition factory and you're like oh wow this like and breathe it's like a little moment of like oh lightness oh there's kurosawa and then it's like no back into the dungeon <laughs> where we have to talk and talk and talk and talk, talk. <laughs> there's a great scene in downton abbey um where uh maggie smith plays the kind of matriarch of the whole thing and she's it's just she's a quote machine like she's hilarious but um all this drama's unfolding and uh they're like oh mama maybe you shouldn't see this and she's like oh no i don't like greek dramas all the action is off stage <laughs> i was like that's what i thought of how it's like they kill him and instead of us seeing any of that we're just gonna have this character scream it <laughs> for like while he's like running around while she's having convulsions and <laughs> it's like and it made me think as well as well of something like uh no country for old men and the the delivery of information of how you are shown and what you're not shown and how the how it moves between the different character perspectives and stuff and how you know you don't see deaths they're just implied and they have all this weight to them and stuff and it's like you know, they walk past the car and you're like, oh, well, that's probably related. Oh, yeah. Oh, they killed him. Oh, he's so evil. Oh. <laughs> it's like, that just ended. I mean, and I was watching that at every frame of painting and I was like, you're so right. Like, I mean, there are scenes in this that are so incredible. Like, the shot, reverse shot of, um, what is it, Waka? What's his name? In the car when he's watching his own funeral. And the shot, reverse shot of, of like his view and then his face in the glass is like incredible. I was like, wow, it's so intense. And that whole scene where you're, you know, you're, you're slowly realizing that, like, you, you kind of know fairly early on that it's the son in law. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't matter when you find that out because you want to know more of like, not just why, but how. Like, him fucking with them is great. It's like, I want more of that, you know? And then it's as if, I don't know what you were saying before of the of budget or, or, or something of how there are, in a way, too many scenes, but also scenes missing. It's so strange. It's, yeah, it's like the, odd. Two really specific moments that it goes from being like, oh, this is just not as good as before to the moment that it's like oh this is like getting a little bit bad and then mm. it just like kind of <laughs> careens the down. wheels are off <laughs> that like i don't think that the wheels ever completely and utterly come no. off because it is I like you said uh, kurosawa but it is disappointing in a way for example whenever they're like in the in the munitions factory for that should be the third act but the ending of the third act and there's like a really good place to have a confrontation or something yeah. like 
all that time that is spent there instead of like showing us like final kind of like you know like you want to see the the kind of disappointment the hero trying to find his achievement uh, getting to his goal etc the first time that i was watching i was like oh okay she sees him dying and that's what is gonna break her because i thought that she was gonna emotionally break since they already established that earlier on but i thought it would be like actually that you're feeling the same as her because you're seeing him die slowly you know so you thought that maybe like he gets tortured or something in front of her and that breaks her or something like seeing her father torture him would be like oh it breaks both things the facade of the father being like a good guy and actually losing the husband that she loves but like even though technically she sees both those things she doesn't kind of thing yeah uh, I think that the the guy that plays Iabushi, the the father is brilliant the way that he just changes like that he opens <laughs> so the door funny. and that it, even after the, the the press conference at the end oh. that he changes from being like completely like oh I'm sad to oh now I have to be like completely like a uh, bootlicker because <laughs> it, like I really like the I thing I want to also, retire <laughs> but I do also like the idea of uh, how like the corruption in Japan is completely dumb under honor and that's how they mm-hmm. get you that, because you can't report your superior you're yeah. always ro- roped in and it's and I like that Iwabushi is the vice president he's not the president of the company and I think it's a very small but important detail in the uh, the complexity of the story but even like how uh, Nishi's character um is doing it to avenge the death of his father because he wants to avenge himself on his father but he didn't have time to do it and i think it's like a really interesting uh concept let's say but i think that where the movie originally kind of collapses a little bit is after your after they go back to the car dealership after Yuman takes the supposed poison, because even though it's a bit melodramatic, I don't it's have a bit really, much. <laughs> I don't really have a problem because they've been fucking with the guy forever. So like you can see in his face that he's already kind of losing the plot. So it's mm-hmm. not something that came out of nowhere. It's like, would I prefer not to be there? Probably yeah, but it's also like a stylish 1960s Japanese movie. So like I can go with it. But is that straight after that when they go back to the to the car dealership is when they change that uh, the your the um, Toshiro Mufune oh, is gonna have a different approach on how to approach the taking these guys down, and I think that that's a kind of a mistake because I think that you mm. you the film noir is the work is when you go to the fucking bitter end like you started already on that road before the movie begins and if you change your mind it has to be in the last act and it has to be the reason you die you know like uh, is you know some genres have rules and this doesn't follow the rules let's say also ah her character is so annoying yeah Oh, she's so small and fragile. Also, she's crippled. Also, like, <laughs> also, she's so naive and crippled. And you're like, oh my God, this poor fucking woman. Like, <laughs> and then she does like the thing that like any movie that presents a character that way shouldn't do is like double down on the fact that she's dumb. 
Like, you know, like when people go, oh, your father is a murderer. And it's like, I can't believe it. I've, I've <gasps> seen Nishi. Oh, my God. You shouldn't hurt him. But I think that really the, the, the part uh, that is from the moment that the film like goes beyond rescuing. Because I thought that it'd be super interesting. And I, like the first time that I watched it, I was like, oh, my God, they're going there. They're rescuing the movie. Yes, that is. You have your main character doing the plot to take down his enemies, but then his enemies are aware of the plot. And then mm-hmm. they're like, there's a double kind of mystery, double helix mi- mystery of mm-hmm. like, how will they catch him? How much do they know? Whatever. But I, I yeah, they kind of, they kind of do it, but then they don't. Yeah. And it's also, it's like such a cop out. Like I actually laughed at that scene. Every time that I watch it, whenever they go to his father's wife uh, and she's like, oh, I've never seen his uh, oh, son in my God. life. And they're like, here's you know, a photo. And then it just zooms in. Like he's just like sitting there, like in the distance. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, the photo. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so hammy. And you're like, what is going on? Like... <laughs> And the photo as well. Like he's not even subtly in the background. Yeah. Like nothing else in the picture is in focus. He's just like there. She's like, I think this must be him. She doesn't even know. She just assumes because he's looking sad and he must be a relative. So I assume this is him. And that's just like, how do you just, uh, if you knew that, then it's a face you'll never forget. How is now that you just do like at the two and two together? Like, um, ah, it's a, it's a budget, but. Like, uh, it's not as bad shit as her being, like, absolutely, like, the naive, was it her name, Toshiko or something? Getting, oh, like, like, getting, like, losing the plot and becoming, like, a ragdoll. <laughs> and the other thing that people just carry around, like... Uh, like that. That scene when they're all in like the the basement of the factory or whatever, and like <laughs> the outline is his coat is like there. <laughs> it's so funny. I thought that it was like his body. I was like, what the hell? And your man's like, look, look, there's a syringe. Look, there's a hole. This must have been what happened. And she's just there, like, no, no. <laughs> What's going on? It's so nuts. Because even oh like God. that could have worked, even if uh, like uh, the character had gone in and just like is looking at it, and then you get like yeah. little flashbacks, maybe like where the way that he's imagining. So you're there with him, imagining what's going on. There's like a million movies that have done that. That they like somebody comes in and presents the evidence of like, and then it's like the person trying to figure out what happened then, mm-hmm. and. Also, I think that it's a waste of opportunity the way that he's talking about like identity and like how he's lost his identity yeah. because like fake Nishi so died brilliant. in Nishisky and stuff, and it's just like so over the top. I suppose yeah. uh, it hasn't aged particularly well that part. I don't think. I still think it's a a film with a lot of merit. The way that it's, the scenes yeah. that work really work, and I think tonally and atmospherically more than anything when it works it really fucking works like the way that they shot the way that they show him as a ghost like uh, in the little alleyway is so good good. yeah 
And yeah, even and that actor is such a like a, a, a small man in the sense of like mm-hmm. narratively speaking. But yeah. like he has such an interesting face and it's like and I think it's yeah. interesting also how like in the comment of Japanese society that the movie is trying to do that is like it is very poignant that these people haven't been murdered. They've been forced to commit suicide. Yeah. And uh, I think it's like such an interesting concept, uh, but also uh, a very smart way of getting away with crimes because you can't be accused mm-hmm. of their murder, even though like, you know, how can you say <laughs> that it's like those were the words that forced the guy to jump under that truck in the beginning and stuff? Oh, man, that seems crazy. Like, yeah, I think that's that moment is sort of around there. That's where I can, it kind of lost me. Like after that, because that's kind of when the case falls apart. Yeah. And then after that, then like there's it's kind of interesting because we start to get more on Nishi and what his what his plot is behind everything, and that's quite interesting. But it, just like it, yeah, even as we're talking now, I'm like, yeah, that scene was great. Yeah, that scene was great. Yeah, even if like them being completely unable through the like honor system to to talk he just he physically can't talk talk to the cops like it's you know even after after having been there for weeks or whatever like there's just there's nothing and you know the cops are there going we've so much evidence we've so much evidence oh cases with lots of evidence that don't go anywhere uh, i do like also the the guy that plays the the, the district attorney or whatever like like he gives mm. a good performance i thought that like i get that would have been interesting to have like the trifecta like three kind of separate investigations happening at the same time because even yeah. like uh because like uh toshiro mifune is also like uh, clearly the the mole inside but i think mm-hmm. it would have been interesting if he founds out that there was a mole inside that it wasn't him <laughs> It was somebody else feeding the cops the information. That would have been fucking great, I think. And then like, even if you never figure out who the mole was, because mm. maybe one of these guys... Oh, yeah. One of just, these guys, just a line of, that wasn't me. You know, I didn't, I didn't send that one. What are you yeah. talking about? Who was it? <laughs> and then it could have been even one of the guys that they are questioning or whatever. But like because of their honor, they can't break. But they don't have a problem because of morals. To, to bring it in I think I would like give it like some depth but even at the end there are good scenes in like near the end when they're talking about like in the smokestacks and they're talking about yeah. it and uh, Toshiro Mufuni walks away where he's like rain parka and climbs yeah. like a, a mountain of debris and like also considering that it shows it's like 1960 and they still haven't been able to finish rebuilding Japan like after World War II. Yeah. I think that like the movie is meant to be also like a a commentary on the Japanese will to follow leaders blindly sometimes just out of what they see as moral obligation. And I think that the movie does a good job of that. But narratively, I think it becomes quite boring at the end. Like it's just... Also, it's like, you know, when you say like, oh, there's a, the movie could be an hour and a half long or mm-hmm. like an hour and 45 minutes thereabouts. But like, it does, like there are movies that is like the, 
the fat is spread around the, the entire movie evenly, let's say. And then this is like one like a, a sirloin steak that there's a big like rim of fat around one edge and the rest is like really lean meat. And, uh, they should have like flipped and it. And age as well. Yeah. So like I think that it's like most of the issues are in the last third of the movie. Let's say if you have a movie that is 90 minutes long and you have like 30 minutes of the uh, 10 minutes, sorry, an hour of that movie that is like absolutely exceptional, 10 out of 10, flawless. And you have half an hour of the movie that is absolute garbage. Like every horror movie? Yeah. But I think <laughs> if that half an hour was in the beginning of the movie and you stuck with it, you'd think it was a better movie than if it was the last half hour of the movie. Yes. Because I perceive time in a linear fashion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It yeah. Even like I was thinking about this because I was thinking about Justified and how there's like a weak season in the middle of that and how it completely gains its ground. Whereas if you think of something like uh, or the West Wing is kinda like that as well, yeah. how season five is a disaster, season six is alright, and then season seven it gains it back. But if you think of something like House, yeah. and how is it season four of House that's really good? Yeah. And then it just Like the end of season five is when they jump the shark. And yeah. um... and I know it's it's hard I'm comparing obviously T V shows, which is a completely different you know, in a lot of ways it's a different medium. But I'm trying to give a good movie example of this, of, of something that it, it gains you back, you know? It doesn't happen that often in movies, so that's the thing. Of like, Even in, like, in, in the three-act structure, but even in like a five-act structure. I think that there are movies, like there are genres that kind of hide the thing. I think one of, uh, uh, a good example of that is courtroom dramas. Because the whole movie is like building up for like a powerful speech, like something like Scent of a Woman, for example. The it's not exactly (laughs) it's not exactly like a courtroom drama, but it's like two and a half hours that ends up with this like big bombastic moment, and because it's so well written for like mainstream movie, let's say you know, but also so well acted because it's when Pacino used to shout because the character had to shout, let's say, rather than like, I just shout. I I shout. Are you finished, Mr. Slade? No, I'm just getting warmed up. But the, the, the preceding two and a half, like two hours, of scent of a woman is like very middling. And there's like a couple good scenes, but you leave the theater going like, oh, yeah, that was uh, decent or whatever, because, you know. It climbed back, you know, like has like I think a lot of road movies also have that, like mm. uh, movies that like because you can end poignantly and the beginning is always interesting because it's the beginning of the trip, but then like the the middle can get a bit kind of like yeah. aimlessly, let's say. Yeah, or like hangout movies as well, where when you're in them, you kind of you're like, oh. and then something that's able to have that kind of ending like be it like dazed and confused or whatever where where they drive off and you're like oh yeah but the middle of dazed and confused is quite middling yeah but somehow the like even though it's open-ended of just like a day of like you know nothing particularly eventful but I do Maybe, think that yeah. no matter what genre it is, that it's like if the ending of the movie is weaker, mm. you come out 
thinking that the movie is also because in a way like if you plow through the beginning of the movie you think like mm. when it gets good you're like oh okay yeah okay i i earned this in a way you know like it's not like i've earned this quality kind of thing but i gave you my time but if the bad the ending is bad it's almost like what the fuck man like what did i do to deserve this it's a betrayal though i think yeah you know especially like um especially for movies like this that well maybe like i think I wasn't like as quick maybe to be like oh I just didn't enjoy it you know and that that's it I I delved into it more because this is a movie that's not no one really talks about it's not you know what I mean it's not his Citizen Kane it's not you know it's just one of those movies that's kind of tucked away that he did you know and that probably you're never really going to get to unless you're a completist or you know freaks like us um so you know so it I think I feel I feel quite warmly towards Kurosawa, so I, I, you know, I you're kind of rooting for him or something, yeah. even though it's like he doesn't need me, <laughs> you know. You're like, come on, come on, but yeah, it, I think it's because he's not showy. So much of what he's doing is so like, it's it's so just like embedded in what cinema is and why cinemas can be strong and like why it's its own particular language and stuff and he knows it so well that you give him like he gets the benefit of the doubt or something because you're like i know you know how to do this <laughs> come, come on, on you come can on. remember how to ride this bicycle <laughs> you know it's, it's like he's a child and you're just like you know <laughs> i don't know um, and also considering that it starts off, you know, like it's not like when fucking you see the Coen brothers trying to do a romantic comedy that as soon as the movie starts, you're like, oh, no, they're not built for this. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like whatever it's the name of that George Clooney movie that they did uh, oh. uh, with uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. Uh, Intolerable cruelty. Yeah, that's uh, Just... what I felt the movie was doing to me. Yeah. No, guys, no, 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 no. You have such a, you have such a lame character for yourselves. No, like, in, and in fairness to the Coen brothers, it's a quite a wide lane. But like, yeah. uh, but it is a lane. <laughs> it's the same, Back in your lane. But it's, Back in your lane. I don't know what it is with like, at that time as well, that like, people there were not built to do romantic comedies, started doing romantic comedies with Catherine Zeta-Jones oh, in them. Yes. Like, uh, The Terminal is like... <laughs> I do think that there have been so many crimes against cinema perpetrated between the years 2000 and 2015. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not saying that like, you know, they're not still releasing terrible movies. Does it? Well, they're not releasing any movies right now. But like, I don't know. There's there, When you look back, because for some reason, me and John were talking about um, people who characters in movies leaving someone at the altar and how it's such an egregious thing to do yeah. to somebody and yet it's so often played as like a romantic thing of like this person getting what they really See. deserve and really it's fine and I started rhyming off all the examples of it and I was like god but you know why it's because it's the same as any other kind of thing like that that they watched the movie and they thought that the ending was great 
but they didn't get the fucking lesson of what the ending was which is like they watched the graduate and went like oh that's like the romantic end of the movie but they don't stick around realizing that that's the biggest mistake both of them did because it's like it's the fairy tale ending that you imagine but it's like you know the, if you're doing like a proper turn movie around. it's all because if you're doing a proper movie like whenever the curtains close there's like another day they have to like you know wake up wherever the fucking bus ends you know or like being <laughs> the bus never ends being the bus journey like obviously they are at the end of the bus so uh, <laughs> but you know like even thinking like oh the movie ends and then it's like, wherever that bus is going they're gonna have to stop at the side of the road in a garage somewhere and she's gonna be in the wedding dress and she's gonna get like egg mayo sandwich garage food from america <laughs> have like violent diarrhea have to stay like three days in a motel uh do you have any further comments before we uh i think that similar to westerns or you get as much enjoyment from watching a, a good film than a bad film i suppose mm. because you're there like so much of it is based on rules that were made up on the flight similar to gangster movies etc so you can see when filmmakers are either breaking the rules or how they're going to interpret the rules etc and i find that incredibly interesting whenever a filmmaker of the talent of kurosawa takes that genre mm. and that style and puts his own stamp on it uh and I also think that sometimes there are movies that are not particularly great, but they're really worth mentioning and very influential as well. And I think this is one the, of of those films. And I tend to think that I often pick movies because I love them for this podcast <laughs> and don't pick enough movies that I think would be interesting to talk about. This was uh, such a good pick. I look, It was really fun to talk about and think about, definitely. It was a great pick. So like uh, that's why like especially to start a conversation with uh, when it comes to film noir, I wanted to pick something that, in a way, um, I picked this one first also because I knew that like I honestly thought that you were gonna like it more, but mm. I didn't think that you were gonna like love it because there are like significant flaws in it, and I think it would have been in a way even thinking about it in a meta way i picked it first because then it's like a base that you can go to do the other two film noirs because if it was like the last on the chain ah you want the ending to be good so i think they're all good <laughs> you know what i mean like that you'll be like you look back on this like six weeks from now going Oh my god, film noir is the greatest genre ever. If the dessert is good, <laughs> we're gonna go back to our. You forgot metaphor. about the the undercooked squid. <laughs> so I was just thinking there as we were talking about um directors staying in their lane, and for some reason I thought of David Fincher, and that time he went and made Benjamin Button. Oh and, Jesus! Um, <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> Get back <laughs> in your box. Back Get to back. serial killers. <laughs> Get back. <laughs> What's in the box? Evil. Um, yeah, I, uh, I had a lot of fun um, talking about it. I, I also, I had such a relief when you started talking about it because I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to crush his wee heart again. Um, <laughs> I was so, I was like contorted when I was watching it. I was like, yeah, I'm not enjoying this. And John was like, man, that was disappointing. I was like, okay, that, okay, at least it's not just me. Okay. 
Well, like Alex had the same reaction. She was like, I didn't really enjoy it. But then when we started talking, I was like, she agreed that it was like, oh, I started disliking the movie kind of halfway through. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, but we see movies that kind of really pick up, a, especially if movie really uh, lands the ending. You know, like it's the same almost in the flight. The pilot is kind of crap and you get like into turbulence or whatever. And it's like, you don't know really <laughs> it's his fault or not. But then he lands the plane like this smoothest ever. You're like, damn good pilot. You know what I mean? Because see, part of it is also like, I suppose that I remember airplanes. They were fun. I remember being on the plane with Eileen and Eileen having multiple convulsions beside me because she's so terrified of flying and me having to tell her funny stories about you so that she wouldn't think about the fact that we were on a plane. We're in a death tin box. How are you? <laughs> with recycled air. Now the scariest part about this being on the plane. Oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> Um, on that note, what's your favorite thing in the movie? <laughs> the cake. <laughs> Definitely the cake. I actually wonder if it is like an edible cake or just something that they I were... wanted to know. I wanted them to like someone to fall into it or something. I really, because I was like that. It was like, and the building was so cool as well. It was such a like, uh, like what was it? Like the ministry building or something. But um, it, it was like, it's like a Frank Lloyd Wright building. Yeah. You know, but made of cake. Um. <laughs> probably the opening scene like that whole scene the wedding is so well done and it's it's the cutting between all of them and then like all the weird speeches and you're just thinking about god you ever been to a bad wedding um <laughs> they just go on forever and... oh, it's so funny also whenever the guy from like the the damn you corporation gives yeah. the speech going like oh i I don't really know you guys we're not really that close uh, i'm just here because i was asked to be here that is like congratulations um, yeah like almost like if he's uh been interrogated by police in the speech oh man it's so funny uh yeah i really i loved everything about that scene it was fantastic um <laughs> yeah yeah i'm trying yeah the cake what was your favorite thing <laughs> i i think it's uh, the uh, construction of the scenes that truly work like there's so many like memorable images in the movie yeah. I think the even throughout, like even as I mentioned, the Toshima Mufuni walking towards the the mm. the pile of debris while they're arguing about like what type of person he is, etc. I think that's very interesting. But even when the guy the they grab to turn into a quote unquote ghost, that he's mm. gonna kill himself by jumping into a volcano. And it's such a weird scene. And I love movies that are like open to being that weird for the sake of a yeah. good image. Just um, go for it. <laughs> and even like whenever they're going to, the the guy is going to shoot him. Like the they hired somebody to shoot uh, oh, yeah. uh, your man. And then he saves him and then starts playing around that he's going to kill him as well. And I was like, oh, my God, that is so dark to, like, save somebody from getting killed by surprise to, like, kill him with him knowing that he's going to die. And that's him whenever he, like, uh, hangs him out the window, reminding me of LA Confidential. And I don't oh, think that it's yeah. a mistake, etc. Is that how you used to run the good cop, bad cop? <laughs> and I, I think the 
uh, Mufune can do no wrong. Like his face is such an interesting face. The, yeah. Even though there are moments that I don't agree with where the character goes, and I think the a part that becomes too oversimplified, and a part that like, because sometimes the mystery is where it's at, kind of thing. And mm. if you're gonna be like something that I I think it's. Um, quite surprising i think not only with this movie or like the genre of film noir but i think in general i think that exposition is surprisingly more palatable when it's done by somebody uh, that are people talking about somebody else hmm. when you're talking about yourself it's seeing like it's it's harder yeah. to go like you know there's so many movies that the exposition is not particularly good but if you're talking about somebody else, then if you're going to, if you need to have exposition about the character that is doing all the talking, just get somebody else to talk about him. You know, yeah. like, you know, even if you're standing there before a speech and somebody goes this, the reason why he is important is because this, 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 this and this. And like as an introduction to the person speaking. It's better than the guy going like, I am important because of this, 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 and this. You know what I mean? And it's like literally two seconds apart in the same setting, yeah. etc. And I think the movie does forget that. Because mm. for the whole movie, every time the people are talking about the other guy, you know, like even when they go like, oh, he wouldn't do it because like it's such a measly sum. And also mm -hmm. we, we pay them off, you know. Mm -hmm. That's uh, the my favorite thing. What's your least favorite thing? Um, oh, it's just when it goes off the rails. Like, there's a number of things that go wrong. Like the performances. Like, there's some. Like, it's partially that they're given nothing to do, or that they just go from like here to here. You know, it's like dialed up to eleven. Um, it it just when everything everything kind of going wrong at the one time and just a crushing feeling of disappointment that I had. Oh, I'm sorry. And they never they never really gain it back, you know. I no, I mean, like I didn't hate it. It wasn't like a bad experience, but it was it was very it was conflicting. I think and I think a lot of that is encapsulated probably by that scene whenever they, you know, we've just cut to oh yeah he's dead now and it's like you know the beginning of the ending and that scene where he's like. Uh, and because we do lose the 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 poignancy of of him like of uh the real Nishi losing his identity and stuff because the scene before that is so ludicrous that I think that that that's my least favorite thing that scene because it's it's like everything that went wrong is encapsulated in this basement <laughs> what's your least favorite thing I think that in like a screenwriting level that the, the movie uh, does plant really interesting things that don't mm -hmm. get pursued. And I think that's the part that it disappoints me the most, because even the concept of them, that the the guys like, did you pay him off or not? You know, like mm -hmm. uh, the, that would have been interesting that the guys don't trust each other anymore either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the every time something gets uh, planted that I think is going to go on for a while and be interesting, like the investigation, as you said, uh, doesn't come back. It's kind of mm -hmm. like tied up. And I think the, um, the problem in a way is that there's always only like two plates spinning at one time. But mm -hmm. there's like the movie has about 10 plates or 20 plates. 
that it would have been interesting if they were able to keep all the plates spinning at the same time and all of the like that leading to one leading to one even if the ending wasn't satisfying in itself it could be Mm -hmm. like an unsatisfying ending that is like a point it makes a point you know it's it's like fucking twin peaks season three it makes a point it's not what you want but it's what you need kind of thing i feel like that's what he was going for with the with the ending that he had but i i don't know i'd love to know what he felt about this movie that he like how he viewed it if within his uh yeah of i don't know it's it's a weird one yeah, because as well, like, since there's not that much written or said about this movie, even when mm. you type it up, there's um, like the only thing in agreement that I can see is that people complain about the ending of the movie. But I think it's like uh, very, uh, even though we've brought it up uh, and I've been mentioning it more in the context of how we view movies rather than this movie itself because I think it's pretty obvious that the quality at the beginning of the movie is not the same at the ending so mm-hmm. I don't think that there's like you know there's a million books written about it's the same as John Ford in a way that John Ford made like 150 movies mm-hmm. and there's like a hundred books written about the searchers but it's mm-hmm. like you know there's not a lot of them were written about she wore a yellow ribbon mm-hmm. and now we can't ask him about it yeah <laughs> Yeah, I do think that it's the value of having archives of interviews with with like writers and directors as well. Like, there's um, what's that YouTube channel? Um, is it behind the screenplay where he just edits together various interviews of a director talking about a particular movie or show? So it's just like all the best points of every interview that they've done about it. So obviously some of them are quite recent, but then there's like older ones and they're so interesting. And you think that like, I wish I had that for like much older movies from like directors. Because obviously like there's so many interviews with like Hitchcock or whatever, you know, like we don't need to like record interviews with them as well. Like the man loved to talk, but then there's other people that we don't like, don't have as much of a voice and you're like, and also there are people like that. that like John Ford, for example, that wouldn't give you straight answers because <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <sighs> Some people are just assholes. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, um, it's your pick next week uh, or next time. I, I still uh, like I'll forever be saying next week. Like, oh, well, we got to like what? A hundred episodes of saying the same thing over and over again. So <laughs> like... <laughs> I don't feel bad for us. Um, yes, my next week is my pick, and I'm picking Pain and Glory from 2019. Yay! But uh, yeah, so uh, when can, where can they find us, Ricardo? And they can find us on Twitter at the right game. The recommendation game at gmail.com is our email. The recommendation game on Facebook, on the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud, and Dublin Digital Radio 11 to 12 every second Monday and uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, all those other places. Until two weeks' time, I was Orna Pugnes. I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week or the week after, I don't know. Okay.